Welcome to Real Life Mentoring, where we explore real life issues to help you make an authentic difference in the world. Hi, it's Chris and Christina. Thanks for listening today. We're really, really, really excited. We've got Dr. Phil Reynolds. Did I, are you a doctor? I'm not a doctor. I'm calling everybody a doctor today. Dr. Chris and Christina. Why did you say doctor? Dr. Phil Reynolds. (laughs) Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil's on the call today. Yeah. Is that working for you? Let's back up and clarify. Okay. Maybe we should just start all over. No, you start over. So the topic today we're going to be talking about is emotional intelligence. And we have the emotional intelligence guru right here, live and in person. (laughs) Phil, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you and what you do. Uh, hi, my name is Phil Reynolds. I'm a leadership consultant and executive coach, and our business is Reynolds Consulting, uh, real original name. And in the process, the last probably 25 to 30 years, I've been doing leadership consulting training around the world, as well as coaching, got certified about 22 years ago. And then probably eight years ago, I went to my first emotional intelligence certification. But the thing that really Begin to drill down some of my knowledge around it. Uh, a little over six years ago, I had a brain aneurysm burst right between my eyes. Oh, my uh, word. At a six to eight hour brain bleed, was in the hospital 23 days, neural ICU 21 of those, and left, left in a walker, couldn't read for several weeks, worked with three neurologists for over a year. So I became very curious about the brain. The, the neurologist I worked with gave me some in, just great insight to the brain and how that connects to uh, our how we deal with our emotions. And then last summer, because uh, again, we always look for things to develop. I took a course at MIT on neuroscience and business to, again, help solidify what I want to know and discover around how our emotions have such a strong impact on our behavior and our results. Wow. You guys have something in common, Phil and Chris. Do you guys want to talk like for 28 seconds on the thing you have in common? You mean growing up? Growing up. Well, we we both lived in a very small oil-filled town in Oklahoma called Velma, Oklahoma. Velma, Oklahoma. Yes. And I didn't know Phil personally. He was uh, three years older than me in class with my sister and cousin. And we talked earlier, I thought you guys were the cool ones. And I knew that I wasn't. So uh, all these years later, I, I know when I came to one of your uh, um, workshops on emotional intelligence, I think three years ago, maybe two years ago, I forget now. Yeah, You're up there talking. And I thought this, this guy looks familiar. And it's been since 1977, I think, since I had probably seen you. And, uh, and as you spoke, and then you said something about Velma, Oklahoma. And I thought I have to have met this guy because it's not very large anyway, but I didn't understand Phil. I knew you as Philip Reynolds. So then I asked you and realized, and you, you looked at me, you thought, oh my goodness, you were that skinny kid. You're Belinda's younger brother. So there we go. And by the way, Belinda and your cousin, James, they were the cool ones. I was not, but okay. (laughs) But you have a claim to fame here, Phil. Tell us what your claim to fame is I with a famous person. Oh, oh well, with. do we, I have to spell it out? Yeah, Belinda, James, and I all graduated with Joe Diffie. I happened to play in a band with him. And of course, he went on to Nashville having number one hits and I'm, I'm here. So, um, but he, he was a great, great, great guy. Okay, we're just going to jump right in. Define... Emotional intelligence. What is it? 
Well, I'll give you I'll give you the official one, then I'll give you the one kind of our tagline. But it's uh, emotional intelligence is the capacity to be aware of, control, and express one's emotions, and to handle interpersonal relationships judiciously and empathetically. That's the technical. My our definition that we use is helping your emotions work for you rather than against you. I like that. That makes, makes sense. Yeah, that's good. Just jump in, Phil, wherever you want to unpack that. Like why, why is important to be aware of this? If you don't have it, how do you get it? Just, yeah, just jump in wherever you feel like. Because as mentors and we train people to be mentors, this is a really important aspect of talking to people about. So. Yeah, absolutely. And mentoring someone you both would help, but if you're the mentor, you absolutely want to have emotional intelligence. The, you know, as you look at the difference between emotional intelligence, IQ, and personality, personality is fixed usually by the time you're 12 or 13. IQ in the sense of how you learn is usually fixed at about that same time. Where emotional intelligence is dynamic, it's something that you can learn. According to the company Talent Smart, they say your emotional intelligence increases every three years whether you want to it or not, just because the experiences you have, you can absolutely, because there's skills that you learn, then you can increase them faster until you get to about 69. Then apparently you just start stripping off and you say, hey, get off my yard kind of stuff. But the, the framework of it is the one I use is by Dr. Justice. He, it's built on, it's, it's built on the, the, the framework that Dr. Izzy Justice is the one I use. So anyway, the, the framework is you have, Self-awareness, which is knowing what's happening for us in this moment, which is where you want to start. In the book Insights, the, the author talks about 90 to 95% of people perceive themselves to be self-aware, yet only 10 to 15% are. So when I work with clients or I'm working with someone mentoring them, it's how do you develop, help them develop their self-awareness of what they're dealing with in that, that element or that, that time, that moment. Uh, the, the second skill is self-regulations. It's managing what's happening for us. Now that I'm aware of that emotion, then how do I manage that effectively to where the outcome's going to be good? The research says this, according to the, the, the course I took at MIT, what I think has a significant impact on how I feel, which has an impact on how I behave, what I do and what I say, which has an impact on results. We feel it first, but we don't always know the thinking behind it. Mm. So the self-awareness gives you the ability to pause, to stop. What's the thinking that's driving this emotion at this time? Mm-hmm. And then not that you stuff the emotion down. You don't want to do that or disc- discard it. That, and it's, it's, some, it's telling you a signal. But how do I manage that effectively? as I move and interact with other people. Yeah, if we could pause right there, I'm thinking of somebody that I mentor, right? Mm-hmm. And I totally can see a, a growth area with self-awareness. Mm-hmm. How would I help her to see, hey, I don't think you're very self-aware without saying, hey, I don't think you're very self-aware. Yeah, well, yeah, usually people don't respond to that well. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, <laughs> It varies if you, there's different assessments and tools you could use, but just to say, hey, what what do you, when you're experiencing an emotion, what's the thinking behind what 
what what you're experiencing. So one of the one of the assignments I often give my clients is uh, because the brain's drawn to the negative, and we we have up to 27 different emotions an hour, which equates to about 378 a day. So because of that, taking the time to think what's behind it is exhausting, and mm-hmm. it's a skill you can learn. So what's the thinking behind that's driving that? So, hey, I'd like you this week, I'd like you to just think about the emotions that you have. Pause for a second. Think about what's the thinking that's causing this emotion. Now, since the brain's drawn to the negative, most of the time, the the ne- the, the thinking that we're having is negative. There, there's a book, I think it's called You Are Not Your Brain, but one of the books I read, it said, um, Every, you can't control every thought that comes into your brain, but what you can control is what you do with that thought. Mm. And so that's the self-awareness process is what am I feeling? And then wait a minute, what's the thinking behind that? Then how do I manage that effectively? So that's an assignment I give. Hey, I just want you to write down every negative thought you have. Usually I get an email the second day saying, please let me stop because there's so many and you and then, and then we say well what are the themes that you're having what are the themes mm-hmm. that seem to come up over and over again about mm-hmm. what you're telling yourself mm-hmm. and to help them begin to understand not every thought I have is true mm-hmm. so how do I realize I need to stop that and then focus in on then uh, shift my perception of what's what do I want? Because oftentimes our negative thinking takes us off track. And that's where you refocus your outcome, what you want, and then you begin to develop a plan. The, the research that, that in the course I took at MIT, there's mixed research on positive affirmations. There's nothing wrong with it. But saying I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and darn it, people like me isn't going to change my behavior, that the brain's drawn to action. So the sooner I can think, okay, this is not going well, what do I want and develop a plan, the sooner I get my prefrontal cortex engaged and start thinking about moving forward as opposed to acting out unconsciously and reacting. I was thinking, Phil, in the context of we are unapologetically Christian, we approach everything through this Mm -hmm. biblical worldview, that sounds very much like a process of renewing the mind. How do you which I think we have Sunday school fluffy answers. Oh, just renew your mind. But that's a practical, I mean, God's practical too. So what you're saying to me really highlights that's process of renewing the mind. Yeah. Romans 12 2, don't be conformed, be transformed by renewing mind and you prove what the perfect will of God, perfect will and acceptable. Then also in second Corinthians, it talks about taking every thought captive yeah. in that process of realizing just because I think it doesn't mean it's true. Well, I think that's so important. Sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> it's so good. We have a 19-year-old still at home, female. Um, how many emotions did you say we experience in an hour? 20, 27. She probably does 220s. <laughs> <laughs> However, uh, she's very self-aware of all these emotions that come in. And um well, to be so young, she she really is mature. Some areas in that area, in but that sometimes she and other young women that I'm I've mentored, they get hung up on, oh, I'm so bad, I had that thought, and I'm like, hey, the enemy's crafty. He wants to shoot thoughts. It you didn't manufacture that thought. Am I right in telling that to a mentee? Well, 
it, you manufacture it based on how you're seeing the situation. What I think about how I see my situation is causing an emotion. Gotcha. And again, Tasha Yurik wrote the book Insights I mentioned earlier. She said, as well as the research at, at the course at MIT, said that most of our behavior, 90 to 95%, is unconscious. We just respond and react. Mm. And since the brain's created for two things, safety and efficiency, primary safety, when I try to shift my thinking or try to do something different, it feels uncomfortable, which is not safe mm. and not efficient. And so I could unintentionally sabotage myself and continue that negative thinking, which could spiral me down even worse, as opposed to thinking, wait a minute, what am I thinking? How do I control that to see the situation? Not that I live in some type of, uh, it's not real, but this is real. It's really happening. And it's okay to feel how you feel, but yet, is it true? That's the key. Is this true? And if it's not, how do I shift my thinking to what's, what's real? Wow, that's so, yeah, so just for, for clarification, are you, the thought comes first and then the emotion follows and then the action. Okay. Behavior. So, yeah. So what, what I think impacts what I feel, which impacts how I behave, which impacts the results I have. Give an example using myself. So I grew up and I realized a number of years ago, God showed me that I battled a fear of loss because grew up in the home of an alcoholic. We lived in poverty. We moved all the time. And there was no, there was never closure. So we didn't have time to say goodbye to friends, houses, schools, nothing like that. So without realizing it, this is, this is um, developing my, my thought life, my brain. So there's always some kind of loss. So as an adult, uh, a husband and a father at this point, I'm battling a fear of loss mm -hmm. and did not realize that to begin with. But then when I did realize it, how much it was controlling me. Right. So can you speak into something like that, Phil? Well, you, you think it. So, right. You feel so it's is it true, though, is mm. it not not what your feelings true? It absolutely is. But is the thinking true? And if I can begin to say, wait a minute. So so part of cognitive flexibility, which is part of developing your emotional intelligence is you identify deceptive brain messages you shift your perception to what's true, what's reality. And by the way, in, in the midst of that, you could be still be feeling afraid, but what's the outcome that you want? Mm -hmm. And then how do I move forward? So for example, if Christina, you think, hey, I'm going to lose Christina because I'm being such a, a bonehead right now. She's going to leave me. Well, that's not true. So reframe, shift your perception. Hey, I, I made a mistake today because I said some things I shouldn't have said. What do I want? I want to learn how to communicate to her in an effective way. She knows that I love her so much. I would not want to spend life without her. Now, what will I do? That's so good. Well, one thing I, I learned over the years is that this thought of fear of loss used to control me, mm -hmm. therefore live with me. But over time, it, it visits me still, but it doesn't control me anymore. And so I guess without realizing it was more emotional intelligence. I've been, I've taken those thoughts and not allowed those to rev up my negative emotions because in the past, it would take me to the extreme. Right. This will always lead to this. Right. Okay. Right. And that is actually painful and, and you never win that way internally. No, no, no. Uh, whenever you're driven by your emotions, as opposed to your values, I mean, obviously we want to be values driven, but yet oftentimes our emotions driven. So we don't even realize that it's our thinking that's causing that. Cause I would never think that about myself, but we do. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. You said something about the brain and its two functions. Could you unpack that a little bit? Because I see when people are in transition, that tension of, I want security, but, and then the other function, I'm sorry, what'd you say? Oh, feeling safe. And then efficiency, efficiency. So, um, so the yeah. brain, brain's primarily drawn for safety to keep us safe. So that's why when we see a threat, we have that fight flight kind of thing. It, it impacts the amygdala. The amygdala is the center part of your brain. There's there's a, one on each side of the lows of your brain, about the size of an almond. There's a fluid that goes in for about five seconds and it stimulates us. So someone you're driving down, uh, see for you, it'd be I, I-35 there in Norman. Someone cuts you off and you're, you're, your brain reacts immediately to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens after that is up to you. Okay. <laughs> then you say, hey, I'm going to chase them down and cut them off. And all of a sudden you've had a, an emotional hijack. Your emotions are taking over. You you know, shoot the international sign of disgust, whatever it may be. <laughs> uh, your, your emotions have taken over that point as opposed to learning how to calm yourself in that moment. So something like a move is a huge stress. Something like a change of jobs is a huge stress. Getting married is a huge stress. Getting a divorce is a huge stress. Most of most of our lives is filled with stress. And yeah. so it's always understanding that that's okay. It's part of life. But how do I manage that? Realizing this is not a threat. This is an opportunity. They did some research. This is from a book on resilience I read a few, few months, a couple months ago. They showed three 800-meter female athletes in the Olympics, gold, silver, bronze. And the question that they asked as they showed the picture, two of these were happy, one of them was not. And you look at the pictures, you can kind of you know tell, but the the and what was interesting is most of the time when I asked the question, people said it's the bronze. It's no, it's the silver. That's someone yesterday said it was the gold. And uh, but the gold's like, hey, I'm on top of the podium, I'm the fastest person in the world. Bronze was like, I'm so thankful to be here. Silver, though, they said had an if-only attitude. If only I just started faster, if only I trained harder, if only I'd stayed up with the, the lead sooner, if only I had a, a sooner kick, where the third place winner had an at least attitude, at least I made it to the Olympics, at least I'm on the podium, at least I got a medal. And so that that little f- slight framework of how you see your such se- se- situation, because when you have an if only attitude, you can never change it. Mm, or if yeah. you look at least there's an element of gratitude that you have at least this is happening and the research around the brain says gratitude actually shifts the brain's thinking wow. and process so that that helps us again it, it's not trying to discount what we're feeling it's not discounting what we're going through the stress of that but yet how do i control the amygdala of taking off Some of that is just being aware of what stresses you out that would cause that feeling, I feel unsafe. Or for a change, if I'm learning how to do something new, this this feels, this doesn't feel familiar. So I don't like that, which it's not efficient. Gosh, makes me think of Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks, so is he. That's been a tension I've had to personally wrestle through just my faith expressions like, you know, there for a while, this name it, claim it. I thought, oh gosh, you just can't. But when I apply, when I think on the principles of of God and his truth, my brain gets into alignment. It 
gosh, it's not just scriptural platitudes. There's science behind what we think. Right. Really matters. If you look at when you try to get someone to change. So I don't, I don't know if it's happened as much as it used to, but churches were trying to, uh, especially years ago, Hey, we're going to change our music. Oh my gosh. And, and so we, we have an, we have a tendency then as church leaders sometimes to say they're not spiritual. No, they're going to, they don't feel safe because you're changing what they know and it's not efficient. I can't sing off, off a, an overhead. I want to see this music. I can't read it, but yet I like to open up a hymn on see music. So it's just, it's that element of, of that, that fight flight kind of thing that happens even when you look at that. So you look at a mentor product. Hey, I'd like you to check on some challenges Yeah. that, Oh, is this, is it I feel safe in this? And so that's mm-hmm. trust absolutely is a foundational piece of that being a mentor. Right. And right. it's going to be really efficient. Is I'm, am I going to get the results that, that I really want? I don't know. One of the things I've learned to do, Phil, using body language. So with someone being emotionally feeling secure. And so if I'm mentoring a guy and, and we're just getting to know one another and he it's at the point where he's going to share some, some difficulty, some, some uh, personal aspects of his life that he's probably never shared with anyone else. I've, and I can see it on his face and his body language. And I've, I've learned to adjust my body language to his, I may actually turn my chair if I'm at a cafe away from him. So I just turn back and look at him occasionally. So he doesn't, as he's expressing his, his emotions, and he's maybe never done this before with another man, that he doesn't have to look me right in the eyes the entire time. Right. Now, now Chris, uh, I'm so proud of a VA alum. Uh, that, so that's on the other side of, so I looked at self-awareness, self-regulation. The other side then is social regulation, or so, excuse me, social awareness, which you just described. That's knowing what's happening to the other person. Okay. Help them feel uncomfortable. So you and mirroring is a great way for social awareness. Empathy is a great skill around social awareness as well. There's three types of empathy, cognitive empathy, uh, emotional empathy, and then action. So I think I feel I do. Depending on your role with someone, you at least need to cognitively understand what they're thinking, what they're saying, what they're feeling. And you can articulate that. So Chris, what you think is this, Christina, you're, 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 what I hear you saying is this, or you're frustrated, you're concerned. And what's nice is when I can acknowledge what someone is thinking, feeling, or saying, if I'm wrong, they'll redirect me. Mm. I'm not thinking this, it's more like this. No, I'm not saying this. No, I'm not frustrated, I'm concerned. Yeah. And it gives me the ability then to ask a better question to help them move forward. But oftentimes people think empathy is, is it has to be tied to emotion. It doesn't always, you can certainly feel the way, but, or to action. All three of those are important, but they're not all three necessary in the moment. And then social regulations manage what's happening for, for others and yourself. Think of it like a, a triangle at the top of the triangle is what's required. This is what's required of us on the right-hand side of the triangle is Chris and the left-hand side is me. How do I then regulate to where Chris can get what he needs? I can get what I need to get what's required. And what's happening sometimes in our conversations is we triangulate and we focus, we go at the bottom at each other, as opposed to focus toward the outcome that we want. And so emotional intelligence helps in the process of framing that out. Could you unpack that? Like, 
I'm all about role playing or giving a story like, let's say married couple, yeah. they want, they each have their things. How do they get to the tip of the triangle? So great question. You focus on the outcome as opposed to just my need. So social regulation doesn't mean I suspend my need, but I'm, I'm aware of it. Mm-hmm. It's also understanding that's where the acknowledgement. So sweetheart, what you're saying is this. So you think we should do this. So you're concerned that if we spend this much money to that way, yes, because people want to heal. People want to be heard and they want to feel valued. So part of the way we can do that in social awareness and social regulation is connecting with them what their need is that then the better the the more I can understand what their need is then the more we can jointly come to the outcome of what's required in that process Mm -hmm. and the tendency for us as humans is is I just focus on my own needs the other side of that too Christina is that this came from the 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 course at MIT the brain wants to be right so Mm -hmm. just assume every human wants to be right and yeah. the, the, we're, our brain is drawn to things that will reinforce our beliefs. And so we're always looking. That's why we watch the news channels that we watch and mm-hmm. we watch the news channels because it supports our belief, our, the framework that we have around life. So when I trying to talk to my spouse, then I think this, they think this, how do we come together rather than going against one another at the bottom of that triangle? How do we move forward to the top of that triangle to the outcome that would benefit mutually benefit us both. That's great. Trust is really important in that situation. Yeah, very much. Okay. This is not judging someone, but would you say you're pretty good about walking into a a room and assessing if someone's has emotional intelligence or not? Well, I always tell people no, (laughs) but But, I'm always watching people. I, I'm I'm people. I just find people extremely curious. The, The first thing I look for someone is what their behavioral profile is. Are they more extroverted? They're introverted. They seem to want to be want to control the environment, accept the environment. And then I watch to see how they operate with other people in that process. But uh, but I'm not I'm not always doing that. Well, well, <laughs> the reason I ask this is because this happened two days ago. We're traveling back from Missouri and we we stop at a, a gas station and I, I put my credit card in the in the um, the pump, whatever, and it it won't it won't receive anything. And I said, try it again, try it again. And I found myself getting, you know, frustrated, trying to get back on the road. All right, get over myself. It's just a, a few minutes. So I'll go inside and the cashier behind the counter, she said, what do you need? And I said, well, I said, it, my, the pump's not working. I don't know what to tell you. It's been messing up all day. You might try another one. And I just thought, oh, my goodness. My chest got tight. And I thought, well, so I went back outside and I, I moved around to another pump and filled the tank. Christina had been inside as well. And she gets in the car and I told her what happened and she had a similar situation. So it's not judging someone, but I would say that woman probably doesn't have emotional intelligence. Is that fair to say? Well, I don't know. She could be having a bad day, but, but that, that would, the, the, the question is, is she self-aware? Can she do self-regulation? There may be some skills that she wants to develop. So uh, okay. everyone has some elements of emotional intelligence. Yeah, like um, I use this analogy for leadership too. Um, everyone can be a leader. I play the piano. I'm never going to play at Carnegie Hall. 
And so there's, there's different levels of skill and emotional intelligence that people can use, some at the lower level and some at the high level mm -hmm. in practice. But the other thing, too, is the, the thing that we have going against us, one of our biggest things is, is, is our brain, which, which is our ego. So when I left the hospital, I met with three of my neurologists in one week, which is, I wouldn't ever recommend that. They're not a very humorous one group, but <laughs> um, they read the report. Uh, Mr. Knows you, I read your report. You should be dead. Are you depressed? So first time, second time, third time. And third time I asked, and my, cause my wife put me on a trial program. So why are you asking me? What's well, one of the common themes that happens is when someone has a stroke or an aneurysm, they get depressed. I said, no, I'm just grateful I'm alive. And so I started intentionally at night saying, what did I do well today? And like, for example, when the physical therapist came over, he goes, all right, we're going to do some chair squats, which is basically sitting in a chair, standing up. And I did two, like, yes. Um, I said, this is what I did well today. And I didn't put a butt behind it. This is something that didn't go well today. And then tomorrow I'll do this instead. Mm -hmm. So I shared with one of my neurologists what I did. He goes, that's great because you're reading for telling your brain, do this again, don't do this. And this is how you'll do it. Yeah. Now, as much as I do that, and I still do that every night, I was in Phoenix, Arizona a few years ago, uh, probably three years ago, and did a training, one-day workshop there, got on a plane late, flew into Dallas, Texas, didn't get in until 12 that night. By the time I got to the hills, about 12.30, and I stayed at a Marriott. I'm a lifetime titanium at Marriott. At that time, I was with, with Ambassador. Mm -hmm. And so when I checked in, the lady, she wasn't very cheery. <laughs> And I, I said, hey, how you doing? And she was, uh, she didn't even say anything, didn't greet yeah. me. And I know that when you're at Marriott Rewards, they say, hey, thank you for your loyalty, da, 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 do you want points? And, and I said, no, she didn't say anything. She was here. <laughs> I said, did you give me my points? Sir, your points are in the system. I said, okay. So <laughs> turned around, walked to the room. And I remember walking away thinking, oh, I can't believe that. She was so rude. Da, da, da. By the way, all ego. Yeah. All ego. I'm going to talk to the manager tomorrow. I go up to the room. I'm still stewing over how I was treated by this lady who was working at 1230 midnight. So mm -hmm. I'm sitting, get to bed. Finally, I'm sitting, laying in bed. I go over my three questions. What went, what went well? Oh, training went great. Da, da, da. So that was phenomenal. Uh, people laugh. They cry. It's better than cats. And second, what went badly? Nothing. Better than what? Better than cats. And so, <laughs> what, what, what went badly today? Nothing went badly. This is a great day. And my conscience or the Holy Spirit, I'm not sure which, yeah. said, what about that conversation you just had? And I said, well, wait a minute, that I'm the customer, what do you mean the conversation I had? She didn't say anything. I wasn't rude. I was trying to be, but were you, were you kind? Kind? I'm the customer. She should be kind to me. And were you considerate of her situation? Mm. And so I really got convicted of that. I said, okay, if this happens again, which by the way, it was a pretty safe bet it wouldn't. This is how I would operate. So the next morning I get up early, I was training for a marathon at that time. I get up early, go work out. I've got toothpaste. So I went to the front desk. Guess who was still there? Mm. She was there. Wow. This is my next time. So yeah. I totally changed the situation how I approached her. And I said, do they ever let you off work? And she looked up at me and kind of had this tired smile. She goes, I get off in a couple of hours. I said, man, I'm so impressed that you're able to work this late at night. I could never do something like that. And then she said this, I'm a single mom. Hi. And she said that it wow. changed my perception. Yeah. 
And I said, well, tell me more. Yeah. And she's told me about, you know, I, I'm able to go home and have breakfast with my daughter before we send her to school. Then I sleep and I get up and I'm able to pick her up and help her with the homework. We have dinner, put her to bed, and then I come to work. And, you know, what a, I'm just, gosh, I, what, what a great testimony to your daughter. And I said, I appreciate so much the, the work. May I have your name to tell your manager what a great job you've done? And she she kind of blushed and said, well, yeah, if you don't, yeah, sure. Which I did. And so it, it's that element of realizing that I may not get it right the first time. Mm. If I have the opportunity to get it right the second time, I, I can. And so having some type of feedback mechanism for yourself to evaluate how you're doing on your skills, mm-hmm. as opposed to say, you may just want to try a different pump. Yeah. And so that 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 helps people then begin to be good. That's that's why you always want to start with self-awareness. I love that story. And I, I think that could be a whole podcast of situations that we allowed the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And then we actually did what he told us and turned the situation around because I keep hearing that emotional intelligence and the self-awareness and the social awareness, all of these aspects that's really how we can communicate the gospel and to be loving and kind. I want to piggyback on your story, not that I'm trying to top your story, but to further illustrate, I think Christians walk around and we don't see the grouchy hotel clerk or the grouchy gas pump clerk as opportunities to share the love of Jesus. So that same woman that was so grouchy to Chris, um, I, I was in line to buy a beverage people in front of her obviously knew her and they said gosh that pump has been out there a long time there was a a diesel truck she said yeah we're out of gas on most of the pumps and I just want them to get out of here I thought okay she's stressed and um then when I it was my turn that it I mean she was just like well I happened to notice that she had this beautiful nail color and she did not strike me as a frilly girl she was hardcore so I just said wow I love that nail color and she looked at me and she said really I said I do and she said well I got green because I thought it was closer to St. Patrick and you know negative and I was like well I really like green And she said, you know what, next time they've got this sparkly blue and I want to try out the sparkly blue. And I was like, you know, I love blue too. I said, I bet that would look great with your skin tone. She goes, I'm trying it next time. So I I didn't get a whole lot of warm fuzzies. I didn't stop. I didn't present the gospel, but I just thought, huh, she, I looked at her different, you know, and I just think there's so many opportunities. I want to share another quick one. Well, let me interject on that same story for a moment. So yeah. I was initially irritated. Okay. The gas pumps aren't working. I had right. to walk in. I mean, life is tragic, right? I had to walk into the store and ask for help. And she was rude. And I, I, I kept my facial expression calm when she was doing that to me. Which and I, Chris Elledge has difficulty doing. He wears his little Yes, I guess. But so I walked back out. And by the time I got in the car, it's like, Chris, what's her situation? You don't know what she's going through. And so what aspect of emotional intelligence is that when you go from like you and I got frustrated and wanted to to report that person to going, you know, what What's the bigger picture here? That's good. What aspect of emotional intelligence is that? Is that self-awareness? Okay. All right. 
That's good. What were you going to ask? Chris, that's why I ask myself those three questions still at night to, to become more aware of how what's going on in my day. Okay. This is such a good a stopping point, but then I, I'm thinking of a thousand other things that we could think about. That's so, a lot of things. A thousand? Well, probably more than a thousand. Okay. I just streamlined it. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I love, I wrote this down. Where's my little, when you have seen me looking down, it wasn't because you were boring. I was writing things down. I just thought, okay, everything that you're talking about so illustrates the fact that just if we just examined the brain, we are so fearfully and wonderfully made. My word, just in our brain, the things that God took deliberate intent and science and intelligence to wire that brain and then told us to transform that mind. Yeah. It's just amazing. Anything else that you want to share to wrap up? There's a, and we won't have time to talk about it, but um, that's why the stories that we tell ourselves are so critically important. Mm. Everyone has a story that they tell themselves. And so Chris, kind of going back to what you said earlier, you had a story that kept running through your mind uh, because of our experience. And so if I can begin, the more I can understand my stories and my thoughts, so, because stories lead to thoughts. And the more I can understand my story of, and our stories work for us until they don't. Hmm. Mm. That's one, great. One, one of the things that we, we, we teach is my life, my story. It's a tool and it's helping people discover their own story for the first time. They will remember certain things. They'll quickly say this about their past, present, or something to help for the future. But when you take time to dialogue with them, they realize I never thought about that in my life. I never thought about this. Right. So, yeah, that's good. Wow. Phil, so much stuff here. Thank, thank you. you. The takeaways for me are just, we weren't haphazardly brought to life. Like a intelligent creator formed our brains. Um, yeah. I'm just going to encourage listeners to go back, listen to this again, take notes. Um, and we'll have Phil back on here again, but just thank you so much for imparting your wisdom and just giving some really great tools to people who are listening. So invitation. Yeah. Thank you, Phil. Thanks. We want to thank you as always for listening. If today was helpful, if something that you listened to was helpful, we would really love it if you would go to Apple or Spotify, leave us a review, download, subscribe, and for all things related to podcast, if you'd like to give a financial contribution to help us continuing bringing this sort of broadcasting to you, just go to FahrenheitMentoring.org. Hi, this is Chris Corral, producer of the Fahrenheit Real Life Mentoring Podcast. This podcast is produced through a partnership with the Confetti Corral Boutique and Michelle Corral Realtor. To find out more about these businesses who support our vision and ministry, go to confetticorral.com or find them on Facebook.